1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nison, a big stage today, a big episode, Giro d'Italia, Stage 21 Recap, the Pivotal ITT, as well as a pretty exciting Vuelta Espana Stage 6 Fireworks where we didn't really expect it. As you know, our podcast for the Vuelta and the Giro is supported by Le Col, and they produce performance road cycling apparel. They provide the kit, To Bayern McLaren, you've probably seen those fluoro-orange kits in the pro peloton. And today they had Pearl Bilbao protecting or riding for his third position or maybe trying to get third position on GC if Kelderman cracked, protecting his fourth position from Almeida. And, yeah, we're seeing how he would go, and we'll see how he goes in the ITT. But if you want to check out the LeCol kit, you can check it out at www.lecole.cc and enter code LR015, all caps at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Cole for your continued support of the podcast. But moving on to stage 21 of this ITT, the heavy favourite was Filippo Ganna. Benji and I said that yesterday. I think we both picked him when one of the rare times we were in uh, in unison. And that wasn't the, I guess, most exciting thing about today. That was almost a foregone conclusion. In my mind, it was could Jai Hindley protect his 0.001 millisecond lead on against Teo Gegenhardt on GC. They went into the stage pretty much on the same time. Hinley, though, just in the Rosa by a fraction of a second, and Kelderman pretty much out of the picture. He was like 90 seconds back, so he wasn't going to make that up on this. Uh, what is it? A 15 kilometer time trial from uh, Cernesco Sur Naviglio into Milano. in by the uh, the Duomo. So flat TT, few corners, but nothing too crazy. And did the stage deliver exactly what we expected, Benji, what we said yesterday?
0: Well, we said that the time trial would be won by Ganna. We said that there would be two switches in the top 10. That's Almeida over Bilbao and Hindley being passed by Gegenhardt for the winning of the Giro. Now, if we look at the time trial, there was no difference in weather forecast and so forth compared to the first time trial. And because of that, we assessed that on paper, Gegenhard was the favorite here going into this time trial for the GC. And when he started off, the Italian directors were playing with us a bit because it kept on zero seconds for quite a bit in the first three-ish kilometers. And then it started switching and it started pulling on one way and it started pulling in the way that we expected. It started pulling in the way of Gegenhardt winning this Giro and gotta be honest the gap kept on growing the gap kept on growing not at a single point did I expect it to switch around and in the end it didn't but I do want to notice that at the start of the time trial of Hindley I noticed one thing the helmet of doom the laser helmet he was wearing the exact same helmet as Roglic was wearing on the 20th ITT is it a coincidence I think not and therefore i think that is the reason that he lost more time than we expected because we expected around i think 20 30 seconds 15 to 25 seconds was what i had in mind but i'm not sure what you had in mind when uh, when it comes to the losses
1: yeah when i saw that helmet i know it sounds like a meme but i was thinking are you kidding me why is he wearing <laughs> that helmet in pink in the leaders in jersey and in, in the same leaders color in pink this time like I know it's probably superstition. I don't, but I don't care what the wind tunnel data data says. If I'm a rider and I'm leading GC and they hand me that helmet, I'd say no, no, no. Give me, give me a different one because I ain't wearing that. But yeah, Filippo Ganna. It was good because he went off earlier than obviously uh, the GC rider. So we had two battles. We had Ganna going off earlier, and once again he dominated this ITT, winning comfortably by 32 seconds to Victor Campanath's. Definitely Victor Campanals' best TT performance in quite a long time, actually. Coming second, only, I guess, 30... Uh, nah, 32 seconds, I shouldn't say only. That is a massive gap in a 15K TT. So, Ghana once ahead, once again, head and shoulders above the rest in the ITT. I did think, I can't remember, I haven't looked close enough, but I felt like to the first intermediate uh, split, Dennis was quite close to Ganna, and then he maybe lost a fair bit of time in the last half of his ITT, no doubt justifiably tired from his efforts on the Stelvio and Sestriere, He came third row in Dennis on the same time, pretty much, as Campanats, but a little bit behind him, 32 seconds behind Ganna. Juan Almeida, once again, cementing our, or well, the belief, not the belief, but his position as an elite time trialist. If for like a GC-style rider, so Toreno-Adriatico, Paranese, Dauphiné, maybe not Dauphiné, but certainly Toreno and certain Paranese courses, Joa Almeida could be a man coming in top three. The only problem with that is he's got Remco Evenepoel on his team. So that's something to think about for next year. Maybe that'll come into an off-season podcast. Miles Scottson, an excellent performance from him, the FDJ leader, man, the Australian fifth, 41 seconds behind Ghana. Joseph Czerny, 6th. Hager, 7th. McNulty, 8th. Once again, a pretty good TT from him. Gradek, 9th. And Tratnik, 10th. All on about 44 to 47 seconds behind Ghana. So there's a clustering at 40 behind him. And Campanatz and Dennis were a little bit above the rest of the, the other riders. Um, Re, the GC men. Oh, actually, before we get to the GC men, sorry, Benji, any of those performances surprised you particularly? Is tired legs affecting where we're seeing people? Um, or is that really a, a much better performance from Campanarts today? I think it's a better performance by Campanarts
0: Then again, he fell on the first time trial, so can't use that one, really. The second time trial was maybe less favorable due to the rolling hills in it. But all in all, it was still disappointing that second time trial. We know from Tireno that he's not a terrible time trialist. He just needs it a bit from these middle time trials. There's long time trials. there's are extremely short ones. Obviously, Ganna's the better one right now. And I think that Campanards might have been a slightly bit overrated last year when it comes to his time trialing abilities. And I feel like his performance was on the level that I was expecting. I had him in my top four today. And that says a lot, I guess, because I was expecting him to do well and i think that almeida was the person that i put ahead of him and i basically got all four people in the top four but in a different order in the sense of dennis expecting to be second instead of third but then again that same time so i don't know all in all i expected the same level from everybody here maybe a tiny bit more from dennis knowing what he did in the last two days but then again knowing what he did in the last two days that means that he's a bit more tired perhaps most likely because you don't climb a stelvio and then come out very very fresh the day after but I feel like Miles Scottson did a really good one today that's one of the riders I didn't have on my list at all for today and the rest was not overly surprising I guess Calderman being a tiny bit better than Kagan Hart on paper only three seconds though so if this really came down to Calderman being in the play as well he's doing worse than I expected him to be and that's something I I do have to know because I I thought that Gegenhardt would need 30 seconds on Keldermon for this time trial, and it's only three seconds in the end. So, in hindsight, that was a bit of an overstatement by myself. And I think that plenty of people had a similar idea of what Gegenhardt needed to be above Keldermon if those were in contention. But
1: yesterday I said, I thought, I actually said Gegenhardt was going to, I thought he'd beat. Kelderman and the TT, just because... Correct, you did. Before we move on to the proper GC, guys, just the accumulation of effort, just the, these last-stage TTs, you almost have to throw out everything you know or expect sometimes of the riders, or you've got to factor in what you've seen from them in the last few days. The only exception to that rule would be uh, Chris Froome at the Tour de France when he looked terrible on that stage. And then uh, stage 18, maybe... And then when he got dropped and Bernard brought him back, and then he beat Roglic in the TT for third in 2018. But generally, after, you know, the, what they've done in the previous days is indicative of what's what's to come. But moving on to the GC action, I was at a a watch party for the the Jai Hindley support fan club watch party in Sydney. Cheers, <laughs> Angus! Really? For hospitality. Yeah. Is that we a thing? went <laughs> probably one of the only watch party in, in Australia, apart from Jai Hindley's family in Western Australia. I reckon um, <laughs> was, we we were all watching it. So the other guys as well, they actually lead normal lives and and get up at normal times. So they were they were exhausted, and I was it was midnight, and I was like, guys, it's it's about lunchtime. What's what's the problems? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was good. I guess it was good to watch because you you can't forget. Jai Hindley, twenty-four years old, on Sunweb. No one expected him to be here. No one, probably, that didn't watch the Sun Tour even knows his name or knew his name. He's in the Malia Rosa. He's defending the Malia into the last stage ITT in the Giro d'Italia. Um, so just we didn't. I didn't want to lose sight of that, and I think it was good to actually make it make a thing of it as well. Um, but yeah, he had the. He was up against it, and as I said yesterday, I think. You know, to a few people, Gagenhardt's G C odds were like a dollar fifty and I just that was just wrong. And they got smashed into like a dollar twenty and it, and it was clear that Gagenhardt is the better the better time trials. T went off first. He was in the white jersey or the white skin suit, the sort of one they have to fit the day before. Hindley was in the the Malia, so it was even in that sense. They both had to use the skin suit given to them or made for them. And Gaggenhardt just stu- from the minute he rolled off the ramp and Hinley was riding Benji, did you think there was did you ever think Hinley had a chance of beating him?
0: Nope. And it's maybe harsh to say, but even knowing that in the Tour de France we had such an upset regarding the time trial, this is for me something that I completely saw coming and that was one hundred percent going to happen in my eyes. But obviously there's always a small chance that something happens, but it was extremely unlikely for me. And the thing is, Gegenhardt just looked so relaxed, even before the race, and it felt like they had everything under control. I watched a speech of yesterday evening by Tao after, uh after the stage in the hotel, and it was so absolutely relaxed, no stress at all, thanking the team and so forth, and going into this one with an open mind and still complete confidence in his abilities, and Yeah, I think that he's also in the perfect team to do this because, small detail, Jai Hindley had to have a two-hour and a half, three-hour transfer yesterday evening to the start of today's stage. And Gegenhard and the whole team of Ineos was brought there by helicopters by the team to avoid having to be in a two-hour and a half, three-hour transfer. And I guess that's what we call the marginal gains that they sometimes talk about that these small details can affect so much in in even just the relaxedness of riders the rest that the riders have I don't know I've never been in a in a transfer of a a a cycling bus, but I'm not sure what the comparison is there. Do you have less rest in that bus or is it is it just annoying to be in the bus and having to go out two hours later or yeah, it's a bit of a a small detail, but those small details that's what gives you an edge over the others and he already had an edge on paper and this certainly brought him higher up. And outside of those two riders also said that Almeida would pass Bilbao in GC and uh, he eventually did. It was a bit, well, it, it was just as I expected, honestly, I would say a bit closer, but that's not really true. It's, he lost 35 seconds or something on Almeida in the time trial Bilbao. And we've seen that he is Spanish champion if it is because Castroviejo wasn't present that day. That is a a bit of a, yeah, a what if. We don't do what ifs in cycling afterwards because, yeah, what if someone else was at this Giro and rode it out? And what if Thomas didn't crash? Those are all details that don't matter right now. Kegenhardt won the Giro. Almeida wrote a fantastic Giro for a youngster, for someone that was not meant to be the leader of that team, perhaps until two, three weeks before the Giro started. Absolutely amazing. And I think from the GC, we can say that 99.99999% ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the people did not expect to see this top three at the end of this Giro, Gegenhard, Hindley, Keldermann. And I'm kind of happy because this was one of the better Giros that I've seen in a while. And it's because the last week of a Giro always brings chaos at some point. And it did in 2016. It did this year again as well. It did in the year that Froome won. 2018, I think. The one where he... Went on a party in uh, in the beautiful stage on Finestre. But all in all, every single Giro has somewhat of an upset in the last week. And the fact that Gegenhard was able to move up from week two and still be in contention in week three and put the fight towards Hindley and Kelderman really brought this last week so much more. And he goes home with the jersey. So great teamwork by Enios, Great kind of switching around by Ineos because they switch from having a leader... Thomas at the start to having a mediocre leader in Gegenhard in the first week who lost on the Etna by two minutes or something. And he already knew he was leader at that point because Thomas dropped before the climb. Maybe he wasn't fully prepared for the Etna there, though. But week two, preparations on stage wins and trying to get as many stage wins as possible. Seven stage wins by Enios. Four by Gana. That is godlike. He won all three time trials and won that stage that... He dropped Rubio and Thomas on that final ascension. Maybe we slightly overrate his climbing ability towards that stage because he technically dropped two people that just closed the gap of two minutes and 40 seconds to him just a second ago. So on paper, doesn't mean that he's better climbers than them, but it means that perhaps he was fresher in the legs, even though, yeah, I don't know. Gana was amazing, this Giro, and we can't really take away from that, and we shouldn't. And Dennis, towards the last week, well, he was the key to the victory. Without Dennis, Gainhard would not win this Giro, hands down. And I think, well, Dennis last year had the hopes of becoming a GC person. He got second in Tour de Suisse last year, or the year before, at Bahrain. Put his hopes and dreams there away for GC, and... I think if you look at this Giro, a lot of people are going to have the question, can Dennis come out of this and see himself as an opportunist for being a GC leader again? I think that it's hard to guess that. I think that he has the possibility of that if he has the legs of those last two mountain stages throughout the whole Grand Tour. I don't think he did that because on certain mountain stages, he was in the breakaway and just got caught by the peloton. and. I believe that because of that, he was mainly amazing in this last week and perhaps a bit less in the first two. So it's hard to judge whether he would be a GC favorite or a GC candidate, let's not say a favorite, an outsider at least of GC. I think he have a possibility of it's another Grand Tour with three time trials, but his time trial this Giro was a bit under what? Well, under last year. We know from Dennis that he had this pure focus on World Championship last year, definitely considering the uh, Bahrain happenings during the Tour de France. This year, he had a clear focus on that World Championships again, but he also seems to have a focus on other stuff this year. And I love that in him now, because now we finally see that time trialists, like Dennis as well, are trying to find stuff in other disciplines that help them get victories outside of time trials. It's what Compagnard should be doing way more, in my honest opinion, as a Belgian. And not necessarily a fan of Campenard. I so just like him as a, a writer and as a person because he's pretty honest about everything. But all in all, I feel like Tom trials should do that more. And I hope that we see the same from Ghana in the coming years. We've said that before. But I'll throw it to you because I've been talking for ages. Do you think that Dennis would be a GC candidate or outsider if he had a team built for him in a Grand Tour?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, he seems to be much better at that steady state stuff and not only particularly steep climbs either. The Giro stages he made a difference on weren't steep climbs, they were long climbs, and I don't think he's good at reacting to moves, and I don't think he wants to either. I think he he wants to be a time trialist and support rider the way he has been in the Giro and what a support rider and a domestique he has been. But just to wrap up the overall, the GC for this year, Gegenhart wins the Maglia Rosa, thirty nine seconds ahead of Jai Hindley. After putting yeah putting that thirty nine into him in the TT, Kelderman third, his first Grand Tour podium, a minute and twenty nine behind Almeida fourth, Bilbao fifth, Foolsang a disappointing sixth seven minutes behind and considering the amount of riders that have pulled out of the Giro, even a Thomas, Yates, Vlasov, not a good result from Fulsang at all, Nor and Nibali down in seventh, eight minutes back, Conrad, Masnada, Pernsteiner round out the top 10 um, and Pozzovivo and Micah just fall out 11th and 12th so Disappointing, I guess, for Conrad and Bora Hansgroer. They rode in support of Micah and Conrad for a lot of this Giro. Sacrificed some ambitions for Peter Sagan, who came second in the points classification. Just 47 or 49 points behind Arnaud Damar. And, yeah, just interesting the, the way that panned out for Bora. Maybe they'll think about things differently next year. But, yeah, what a stage win by Ganna. What a performance by Gagan Hart. And um, yeah, he was he was motoring in this TT. I don't think we've talked about their their various positions. I think I've got to be honest. And Hinley's position looked terrible. It looked like Naira Quintana's position. It was very similar, um, very low hands, and it was clear that he could he could not look up in TT position that he thought was the good position. He looked down, and then that laser helmet was sticking up like a sail or when he was, sorry, so then he's looking down when he's trying to get into error position, and then when he's looking up, he's just got this massive gap with very low hands. His stack was not very high at all. Gaggenhardt didn't have a crazy high stack, um, but still much, much higher, much more modern TT positions. So that's another small detail, you know, do you have your, your domestiques TT positions dialed in because obviously Hindley was coming in maybe as a domestique for Kelderman and it didn't really seem to be that way. So do you agree, Benji? Did you notice when he was riding that Hindley's TT position looked a bit Quintana-esque? I'm not
0: an expert in that, but it surely was worse than, well, and Hart. And what I always look at is when time trollists have this kind of spiky helmet at the back and some time trialists are able to put that perfectly, that it's perfectly aerodynamic and then we look at hindley and it looks like it's somewhat like standing up and blocking the wind so it's not exactly how that helmet is probably supposed to be on your back but i guess that helmet has had many stories already and i'm not planning to add another myth to this helmet so in the end i think that the positioning was indeed an issue but it's also the fact that despite the positioning i think that gagenhart is just a better chantrollist also because he's got a better uh what's it called? Shape body shape or something for it? Do you feel like that's a, a proper assessment? Because I feel like Gegenhard is a more muscly guy than than Hindley is. Hinley's like a a stick man.
1: Yeah, I mean he probably Hinley's not doesn't seem to be he was riding a very high cadence, it, it seemed like we were saying, and I was, I was sitting with much more experienced riders than I am, they were like, oh, he seems to be in the almost the wrong gear. Wiggins was saying something similar, actually. Gagenhart was obviously pushing a much, much bigger gear, and he, in a 15K TT, 40 seconds is a lot, particularly on tired legs for the both of them. So Gagenhart well and truly won this. Giro d'Italia deserved to win, um, and yeah, just a surprise winner, a surprise second place, not a surprise third place, but this whole top ten is is wild in this in this euro. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what becomes of Gagan Hart next year at Ineos. He's still what under no, he's not under contract. So what a time to win. I mean, by by PCS, he's not under contract, so what a time at twenty-five years old to win his biggest race. He obviously, before winning the two stages in this year's Giro, he'd only won a couple of stages in the Tour of the Alps last year. If I was Ineos, I'm going to have a hot take here, Benji. If I, if I was Ineos, would I give Tao hard a monster contract? No, I wouldn't. Um, this Giro doesn't change my opinion about people too much and they've got a whole host of other well-established GC riders So, but then again, he's a British rider that just won a Grand Tour. So, you got to factor that in for a British team. Um, They haven't, anyone's haven't won a Grand Tour until since. Did they win one last year? They won. They won the tour, but that was with Bernal. So, a British rider hasn't won a Grand Tour. (laughs) They won one last
0: year. (laughs) I I also had to think. It's so sad.
1: (laughs) The last, I think, Grand Tour won by British rider was Froome. British slash Canyon was Froome in uh, Giro 2018, right? So, I oh know Thomas won the tour, didn't he? Yeah, yeah we're making yep, a lot. He won the tour. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Ineos actually win. Ineos win a lot of races and Ineos pretty good in the Grand Tours. God. I mean, I, I'm happy for Gagan Hart. It would have been nice to see a team other than Ineos win just from a uh, competitive balance perspective. Uh, that being said, Taylor is still an underdog winning. And uh still a great still great to see Rowan Dennis doing such a good job uh for them. But yeah, do you think would you give Gagenhart a big contract? Maybe matching not matching Grant Thomas, he's not getting Grant Thomas' contract, but would you match Yates' contract?
0: Compared to Yates, I wouldn't really make too much of a difference between them at the moment. They've got a very similar history as in they both want a grand tour and not more than one. Simon Yates has been in the running for more, but Gegenhard has more to offer in the future. And because of that, I think that securing Gegenhard is more important than Yates for the future of Ineos, because Gegenhard still has growth. And we just saw growth in the last year of him compared to Yates, who, well, still is a solid... GC candidate, but we don't know if he still has growth potential in the future. And I think that's where the difference lies here. And that's also what we see in football that youngsters and wonder kids are being paid so much to try and secure them at a young age to make sure that they're being set up with their growth potential instead of getting a, an older person that perhaps has reached their growth potential and you don't know if they can grow more, they're going to be worth less. So I think that's really the value here in Gaggenhardt compared to Yates. That's uh, my view in it, at least. Or are we talking about – which Yates did you talk about, by the way? Because I just said he won a grand tour, but Adam Yates never did.
1: Oh, I was talking about Simon Yates, who's on, I think, okay. 1.8 million euro at Mitchelton, uh, but also equally applies to Adam, who's I thought looked pretty good this year, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, I'd probably – no, I wouldn't I wouldn't give Gegenhard, uh a similar contract to those guys, Um, especially Simon Yates was up there with Thomas as a hot favorite for this year before he got coronavirus. So, um, but that's an interesting, that's an interesting off top off season discussion. So comment on the YouTube video or reach out to us on Twitter with hashtag LRCP to let us know, do, you know, would you like a podcast in the off-season ranking these riders or t- maybe doing a top 25 GC rider ranking? I think that's a podcast we'd like to do. But that's the end of our Giro coverage, Benji. Obviously, we've got the full Giro wrap-up podcast, so we won't take away any of our hot takes of that. But, yeah, today, pretty exciting for British fans, but not wholly unexpected. Um, I'm not too surprised. What, by what happened, um, and particularly Filippo Ganna winning four stage wins, unbelievable. But moving on to the Vuelta Espana, unless you got anything else for this Giro stage, Benji?
0: Not really, just all in all, I think, will we have a recap of the Giro in the coming days somewhere? Because, for example, talking about Anibali, for example, that would be interesting seeing what he can do in the future, because yeah i'll explain on that recap then recap is coming at some point in the coming week or so um whenever we both have a a place in the schedule yeah in a couple of days now when it comes to velta let's take a look at the profile of the day it was supposed to be the terminal stage but that did not happen and that is relatively unfortunate i'd say because i hope for this to be one of the queen stages and before the stage started i didn't believe that was going to happen uh, the stage looked more simple than the Tourmalet stage did. We've got a flat section of a good 60-70 kilometers before we start the first ascension of the day, the Alto de Petralba. That is 5% average like 6.2 kilometers, so not the hardest climb. Then after that, a bit of a staircase climb, like that Mont de one, but very different because all in all, it's only 4% average, over 13 kilometers. That's a bit of a fake news climb, though, because... It's only 4% average because there's flat sections in between there. So it would probably also be around 5 to 6% if we don't count the flat sections. After that, we go down again. And with a solid 30 kilometers to go, we start the final ascension. Not technically the full final climb yet, because the full final climb only starts with 14k to go, but it starts going up from 30k to go with just a bit of a ramp. And then suddenly a wall of like 1.5 kilometers at 8% average that is not even classified as a climb. On the Tour de France, this would probably be a 4th cat climb, to be honest. And then a plateau section of a good 4 or 5 kilometers before we start launching towards the actual final climb. 14.6 kilometers at 4.8%, 4.6%. That is the Aramon Formigal. It has had a stage in the past where I think Bernal beat Uran on the line in a millimeter sprint. So to kind of portray this climb, it is not the hardest. And it's hard to make big differences. But today was different. Today had weather involved. And what a weather it was. It was raining all over. There seemed to be quite a bit of wind. The descent of the second climb looked to be quite technical. And caused some chaos for some teams. And all in all, it became such a heroic stage for this Velta. And I really enjoyed it. It was hard to kind of look at both the Giro and the Velta at the same time. And therefore, I don't have a full view of who was in the breakaway. But I know that we'd have two riders from Astana, both the Izaguirre brothers. You also had Guillaume Martin with a few teammates. And quite a few riders that are up there when it comes to the climbing. The short story is that the breakaway at the start... Was extremely large, 21 people or so, and also Sunweb there with three riders, Michael Storer, Amesqueta for Caja, and that's perhaps most of the names that are important for this breakaway section because throughout it looked like the breakaway was not surely gonna make it because Jumbo started pacing just before the first climb and the gap was only three minutes. Now, on the first climb, that three minutes grew to four minutes. And after that, the descent happened. The weather started being very rainy, very extreme in in the rain. And the higher we went on the climbs, the higher that played a role here. And we started the second ascension. Nothing major was happening. I didn't see too many people drop, but we did see that some jumbo riders were not positioned at the front of the group, but more at the back of the group at that point. Towards the top of the climb, eventually people fought for the KOMs. And I'll tell you who actually is on top after the stage. Still Tim Wellens. He was not in the breakaway, didn't take any points, but Izaguirre took a lot of the points. Jon Izaguirre for KOM. Martin as well, clearly trying to make a goal of this as well. And those are the two people that really bridged up in that KOM classification. Now, the breakaway battle mainly started on the final ascension. We started seeing an extreme pace by Martin and also by the Izaguirre brothers. The first Izaguirre brother, Gorka, left the back of that group quite quickly. Woods was in that group as well and was the first to really break up the breakaway group. And eventually we'd see, well, issues with the the view and with the broadcasting because of the weather at the top of the Aramon Fermigal. We had, suddenly we saw the breakaway, we saw the GC a bit, then we saw the top of the mountain for a good 30 seconds. Then five seconds from the breakaway, five seconds from the GC group and the top of the mountain for 30 seconds. So it was really hard to figure out who was where and what was happening. And the race was extremely chaotic. And that's why it was so completely impossible to know who was in which group at certain points. But suddenly we saw it. Jan Izeghieri had a bit of a gap on Michael Woods and on Guillaume Martin. And he just kept on pedaling. He kept on pedaling. Rui Costa bridged up to Michael Woods. Martin fell through a bit. Robert Power and Valgren were actually with Guillaume Martin somewhere near the finish and kept up that tempo. Cataneo being a tiny bit worse than all those guys. And all in all, at the end, Aramon Formigal, winner of the stage, Jon Izaguirre. He is a rider that keeps on delivering throughout the years, sometimes as GC rider, sometimes as breakaway candidate. And yeah, it seems to be a valuable asset for any team that he's on, to be honest. A bit more than than his brother, I would say, although his brother helped him out perfectly today. So... Doto is Izaguirre brothers. Wherever you bring them, they bring somewhat of a glory towards the team, in my honest opinion. Now, for the GC battle, he's um
1: just on Izagiri, Benji. He's a bit of a wet weather specialist, isn't he? Like I feel like he wins or does well in wet weather. I don't know why I, I think that. Is is there some? Has he won well in wet, wet weather before? I see when he won uh, Bass Country. That seems to rain half the time there. Yes, but I also
0: remember a. 20th stage of the tour or of the Giro and Nibali was in the breakaway with an brother. I think it was Jon. and I think that's indeed the case in 2016. I'm checking to be sure. Yes, the 20th stage from Megève to Morzine with a huge descent at the end and he was the winner at the end. Nibali was unable to follow him in the descent, which doesn't happen often for Nibali. And uh, he clearly was not ready to ride down that climb in the rain. Pontano even dropped Nibali at that point, And Yonis uh, Guerin went in a rainy victory in the 20th stage of the 2016 tour. So like you say, the rain seems to favor this man, just like Mess Pedersen. So that's another name we can fill into that column. And, and just like I the think... GC
1: man we're about to talk about, coming up in the GC group.
0: Yeah, because on the second climb, everything looked pretty decent. I said Jumbo looked to be at the front and at the back of the peloton, which is a bit weird. Hasing didn't seem to be at the front. Dumoulin was, yeah, was being at the front for a bit, but then he was suddenly gone, and I did not see what happened in the descent of that second climb, but they started the Aramon Formigal, and the peloton was split up in multiple parts, and in the front part, about five kilometers into the Formigal climb, the only past people I saw from Jumbo were two that's Bennett and Roglic. And nobody seems to have a clue what happened to Cus. Cus was gone. Nobody seems to have a clue what happened to the rest of the Jumbo team. And on the internet, conspiracies are flying left and right. Whether he had a mechanical Roglic and Cus had to give his bike, whether he did a Dumoulin before the Paso Umbra in that Giro, or yeah, everything saying everything. But Jumbo describes it on Twitter as we had to solve a tricky situation. Well, I just don't have a clue what that means. So thanks to the I extra, guess, uh...
1: thanks to the extra uh, description, <laughs> Jumbo. That really helps. Like helps us know what happened.
0: It like improves the ability of people to find even more extreme conspiracy theories about it. <laughs> so yeah, in the end, Gus, not a good day. The man loses nine minutes today. The man we thought would be the eventual leader of, well, Jumbo at the end of this welter, because we expected Roglic to fall through a bit as. We have never seen him attack on a mountain during this Velta yet. And because of that, we, on a hill neater, by the way, just on that sprint he did yesterday. But we don't really count that because, yeah, we don't know if he would have had that gap if it was for the uh, crash or not. Now, all in all, he attacked on the descend on stage one. He attacked on, um, yeah, he had a bit of a sprint at the top there of a climb, but... He never really attacked away from a group, and that's why we said about Roglic we're expecting him to be weaker throughout this Velta. And, well, let me tell you the story of this elite group. The weather was extreme. We had limited footage, but suddenly the group was 11 people. We saw a move by Chavez on the left side of the road, and this was just before the steeper section towards the end of the Formigal. Now, a steeper section on the Formigal is like 6%, so we got to play with what we have. This is not an amazing climb. And um, somehow it caused carnage in the elite group. Chavez attacks. Groschertner tries to follow. Carfi follows. Karapas bridges the gap. There was a gap to the group of Roglic. And then in that chasing group, Roglic attacks. But unfortunately backwards because he started dropping from that chasing group. So unfortunately, we've got Karthi at the front together with Karapos Together with Chavez, who keeps falling through at that point. Groschertner as well. So on the paper, we've got Hkafi and Karapals being the strengthened riders here, the, the strongest riders, strengthened is not a word <laughs> and they seem to ride away tiny bit by tiny bit from the group behind and they called Goldu, who caused a bit of an attack a tiny bit earlier before the proper section of this climb started, he tried to get away before the madness happened and it was a good move by him because in that second group, Roglic just kept falling through and kept falling through a group with Solaire, a group with Pouls, Groschartner, De La Cruz was there as well. Those people were all dropping Roglic at a certain point. And that is not amazing for Roglic. And he did save himself a tiny bit towards the end. He did cross back to that group and he did drop, for example, a mass and Valvare, but that's nothing special these days. But all in all, he had his weakest day in this Vuelta, And his weakest day in a Grand Tour in 2020 at this very moment. He lost time. He lost 30 seconds at the end towards Carapaz and Garfi. Of which Garfi actually dropped Carapaz in the last line. So Garfi was the strongest GC rider today. We've seen him at the front on multiple stages. And this changes the situation in GC. Now adding on to this whole situation, Dan Martin was dropping Roglic as well. Roglic came closer towards the end, but then Martin still took 15 seconds on Roglic. Regarding Movistar, you have a situation where Moss was dropped by Soler as well. Soler being a minute almost ahead of his teammate, 43 seconds ahead of his teammate today. So Soler seems to be the rider that they would need to go to, but I'll talk about that in a second, which was a discussion point. Just want to give an overview of the GC after the stage where Roglic basically fell through and Karapaz and Karfi were the strongest. So Carapaz takes the red jersey away from Roglic. Hugh Carfi moves into second, moves up three spots. Then Martin loses a spot. is on 18 seconds of Carapaz. Then Martin on 20 seconds of Carapaz. Roglic is still fourth on 30 seconds. So he didn't lose the Grand Tour today, but it's not a good sign for it. Enric Maas on fifth on a minute and seven seconds Groszschreiter on 6th on a minute 30. Soler on a minute 42 on 7th. And then we've got people above 2 minutes. So that's Chavez, De La Cruz, Volverde. And that is the top 10. So major movement today. Rather unexpected considering the lesser parkour compared to the terminal
1: stage. And I'll
0: throw it to you because you want to say something.
1: Coose losing 17 positions from 6th to 23rd. 9 minutes and 54 back. I can't believe it. I, I really want to hear what, yeah, Bagioli down to 30th from 15th, so losing a lot of time. I, I really want to know what happened with Coos. Um, but once again, we're seeing, uh, I think this is a real thing that doesn't get spoken about enough, and there's no, like, ranking anywhere about it. But in horse racing, you have a concept of wet trackers, which is horses that do well in the wet conditions on the foot. They get through the wet ground better. Um, and it actually, it influences odds. It influences races. You can see it in the statistics how, Different horses do wet, uh, on wet tracks versus dry tracks, etc. Cycling, we don't really have the, that data, but it, it is a thing. Riders doing well in wet conditions, and it was cold today too. Um, they were in leg warmers before it even started raining. Everyone was rugged up in the in the welter. when I started watching, and I, I missed. I got to, I, I missed the uh, sort of the middle part of it. I saw Yumbo pacing and I've watched the last few Ks, but (laughs) it's difficult to figure out what happened. But wet trackers or wet condition riders are a thing. And Hugh Carthy, he comes from a very wet area in the UK, I believe. Richard Carapaz, Ecuador, doesn't stop raining. I don't think he likes the heat. I think he prefers the cold and the wet Carapaz. Certainly did pretty well today. Dan Martin. He didn't like, look like he liked the cold when he finished the other day when he won the stage, but doesn't wouldn't surprise me if he was pretty good in wet conditions uh, as well. Same with the Izaguirre brothers.
0: I can add on to that that um, I can give the opposite. Um, there are people that are saying on Twitter. I I kind of confirmed this because Jumbo obviously hasn't said anything that on top of the second climb Roglic had problems with his jacket was freezing and finished shaking so seems like the weather completely demolished him is that if that is true but as we know jumbo said that they had problems so i guess we'll hear what the problems are at some point hopefully because it's very very hard to it at the moment and say whether Roglic was having a weak moment or was just devoured by the weather so
1: yeah i think and, that's and let's an remind point. everybody. Let's remind everybody what we thought would happen in this stage. Um, I thought, oh, I won't speak for Benji, but I think he said something similar in the preview. I looked at this, easy cat three, easy cat two. Then they're doing a pretty easy cat one, but all things considered, nothing steeper than 6%. And I was like, Whoa, short stage, 146 Ks. And then I saw the break go. And the only concern would have been that it was a very large break. But I was like, Yumbo Visma pacing, not a long stage, breaks at three minutes, easy cat one climb with an uphill 6%, 5% finish, break away, or get brought back, Yumbo train, set Roglic up, sprint, take seconds and maybe a second, bonus seconds and seconds or like a second or two at the line. And the weather completely turned that on its head. I think it allowed more riders maybe to get into the break and it caused all this GC carnage. And it also meant that Jumbo Visma couldn't bring back the break because the break was so big. And also, I think we're seeing that you don't you don't notice him until he's not there. No Tony Martin on the front to really eat into that breakaway. I mean, I said it before, Jumbo Visma don't have the team to control as much. In this vuelta, at all, and we're really seeing that, you know, no Grondol Janssen and, and Tony Martin. Maybe they bring the breakaway back today. Do you do you think Benji, or do you think Vinance and Hofstede were doing okay?
0: I totally agree with you, and I think that yeah, Jumbo as a whole was just not good enough today because Roglic was isolated at the end. As long as we don't know what happened, we can't say that it was because of mechanical or anything. So we have to judge. We have it to assume as it's dropping. Yeah, indeed. So we have to assume that, indeed, everybody was weaker today on that team. And he was isolated with five kilometers to go on the final climb. This was not happened on any other mountain stage so far in this entire year for Roglic. So clearly there's an
1: issue there. Oh, well, and... except except Peresud. But this is, whole, this is different, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah. Peresud is hard. This is not a hard climb or a hard stage.
0: Yeah, and also considering that this group still had Chavez in it. Not that Chavez is a bad rider, but he is on paper worse than Kaz this year. And yeah, it seems like Chavez also felt true towards the end of the stage, so I don't feel too bad about saying that. But all in all, I believe that Jumbo was just not on everything today, and they lost 30 seconds with Roglic towards the other favorites, and he's 30 seconds behind in GC, so... Yeah, the Jumbo team is not unbeatable, and I guess today's proof of that. And that is, um, yeah, it, it all depends on what the situation was. And as long as we don't know anything, we have to assume that it's dropping, like you say. And yeah, I don't have too much to add to that. But some other discussion I do want to throw in. We've spoken about it before. You mentioned quite a few times before that you saw Solera as a second candidate until he had that mechanical on the second-last stage before that final ascension that Martin won, Dan Martin, not the French Martin. And Soler lost 45 seconds that day. Do you currently see Soler the leader, as Movistar, considering he dropped Mas, even though Mas is still higher in GC?
1: Well, given their previous success with running a multiple-leader strategy, I think Movistar are better off having that with Mas and Soler. Um, they'll probably be able to manage that pretty well. Mark Soler seems like a level-headed dude, makes good decisions all the time. Um, but no, nah, being being all jokes aside, I think Soler is. I do think that's the best strategy for them, honestly. Like, <laughs> Mars is someone in the big long climbs. I just don't see him getting dropped by by Roglic or Carapaz uh, too easily on like a normal day in a long climb. I think Mars is. Quite a good engine, actually. And his TT is okay, I think, although there's not much really TT. I think he'll do okay in the TT. Solaire, I think, has got that more more punch. He can be more aggressive, and I think he's happy to do that. So, if I was Movistar, I would use him exactly the way Ivan's talking about how Yumbo should have been using Rolich and Coos. But you could probably use Solaire more aggressively than Coos. Like to stay G1, he can attack on descents. He can try and slip into breakaways. He can attack late in stages, and I think they got to use him as a genuine GC threat. I think they should use him, yeah, use him aggressively in stage. Like, I'll, I'll give you one tomorrow's stage, stage seven to Villanueva de Valdegovia, 159 k's. They do two laps of the Puerto de Orduña climb. So it's a little bit rolly, roly flat. Then at 50Ks, they do this 7.8K, 7.6% climb. Descent, then a easy 3K, 5.5% climb. Intermediate sprint after some flat. And then it's 130Ks in, I think. They do a second rep, 8Ks at 7.6%. Would you, Benji, attack with Soler if you're a Movistar, if it's GC group there, uh, and try and see if... Koos or Jumbo Visma chase you back really aggressively. Um, I think that'd be a fantastic strategy. And you know that he's probably going to be pretty good on the descent. I don't know how technical it is, but that's what I would do if I was Movistar star tomorrow.
0: I agree. I would indeed do something similar. Solaire's the kind of rider that you need to give his aggressiveness a try. And we see that there's weakness in the opposing teams. We see that there's weakness in Jumbo right now. And if that weakness pulls it through to the next couple of stages, then a rider like Solaire could try and cause pure chaos for a team like that, trying to control it and trying to respond to that. I'm not sure if Jumbo would really directly respond to Soler, but maybe that's his advantage, that he's not seen as one of the GC favorites here and therefore could slip away and gain more time on each stage that he does. And if he keeps on doing that, then the red jersey might become close. But all in all, it seems like Movistar has their goal already in place. They are currently leading the team classification thanks to today. So congratulations, Movistar. Keep it
1: up. And they lost that in the Giro d'Italia. We should, we should have said Ineos won the Giro uh, team's classification. So good on them. And obviously Guerrero wrapped up the, the KOM, I'm pretty sure. But Michael Wood's doing a little bit better in this Vuelta stage. Coming second, he's looking better after that crash, I think in a, one of the earlier stages. Who do you like for – I mentioned his name for a, for a reason. Who do you like for tomorrow's stage, Benji? We obviously, I picked Roglic for today. I thought it was bang on going to be Yumbo train Roglic sprint, and it was going to be that, I think, until the, the weather really took hold and that break formed tomorrow. I haven't looked at the forecast. What do you think is happening, break again, or uh, is it going to be the GC men battling it out on that last one? I find it an interesting parkour with that circuit
0: section, but – I think that it's hard, but I think the breakaway wins that one. And that is because it is a short stage, but it's a very odd park run. I think it favors breakaways due to the fact that the climb is still quite a margin away from the finish line. The top of that climb is 19k from the line. The descent still has a flat section of 14 kilometers, right? Yeah, 14 kilometers with a small bump in the road in that last 14 kilometers, so... I think that a breakaway will win. Do I have a pick for it? I don't know. Did Bajoli lose a lot of time today? I think he lost quite a bit of time. He's 30 in GC. So I'm going to pull back to Bajoli. And I'm going to go back to a biased pick from myself that we've spoken about quite a few times already. And I think Aramburu is going to be in the breakaway. And hopefully, <laughs> for my uh, bias, he's going to win the stage. <laughs>
1: I think I picked someone like Mohoric in the uh, preview podcast uh, as a name for this. The the reason the breakaway should win as a good chance tomorrow is because the sprinters' teams, Quick Step and Bora Hansgrohe, who have the big engines to bring a break back, it's too hard for their boys Ackerman and Bennett, so they'd rather maybe send Bagioli up the road. The GC teams, Jumbo Visma Ineos. And uh well, maybe education first now. Uh with you Carthy, in second. They don't have anything to gain from this stage because the climb is too far from the finish and unless their rider right, got a massive gap over it, he's not gonna hold too much of an advantage. So and he can do that anyway without winning the stage. So there's nothing to be gained from the G C teams on this stage too much, I don't think, uh, unless you they used a Solaire move. So they don't really be going for the stage win. To be honest, uh, particularly with Alejandro Valverde not being in magnificent form, you'd like him to win a uh, reduced bunch sprint if they did really launch it over this climb. So I think people will be happy, should be happy for the breakaway to go. Who I think can win from that breakaway, that's a good question. Dylan Van baal went on the break today. I don't know. It depends who gets in. I do like your pick of Aaron Beru. Robert Power got in the break again today. He looked pretty good. He came up pretty high on the in the standings in the stage, but it was a very wet stage. Um, I think Soler will attack for sure. Mike Woods can't win because there's a descent. Even if he gets a 5-10 to 10 second gap, he'll lose that time over the descent. I don't know. I think it'll be a weird name, and um, I'm really struggling to find a name that will win. Um, how about David de la Cruz? David de la Cruz, or maybe it's a little bit too too easy to climb for him to be beating other guys. Um, Jay McCarthy, if he'd been in great form back in the day, maybe the climb was always too hard for him. Um, Simon has not looked in great form. What about Nans Patez Nans Patez it could be in the break, and I might go with him as a pick. Um him or no that's it or bad laddie. I don't know how bad <laughs> I think it's a welter. and I think the, the reason I'm struggling so much is because we're now seeing and this affected the GC standings we're seeing a lot of people are very tired myself included and Roglic particularly that's why I didn't pick him to win the Welter. The I think the doing the tour and backing up for this welter after doing world champs in Liège very very difficult and um yeah, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to to back that up and and do the Vuelta, and maybe we already saw evidence of that today. You know who I'm gonna pick for the stage, Benji? I'm I'm changing my mind. Two can I pick two options? Yeah, of course. Jonas Zagira and Luis Leon Sanchez.
0: I guess that's about it for the Vuelta here. I've got one small thing I wanna throw in. Something fun I I found that was proposed today for a twenty twenty-one stage in the Giro, they have proposed to do a 100 kilometer stage, finishing on the Paso dello Stelvio and celebrating 200 years of the Stelvio road, including half the stage as gravel sections. <laughs> I'm not even kidding, this is a proposed. Starting in Bormio, goes downhill, then an ascension of 19 kilometers, with the last five kilometers of the climb being. Well, gravel sections, the problem is the descent is also five kilometers of gravel section. So CPA is probably not happy about this. And I think that with, this will cause trouble. So wouldn't be surprised if surface re- restructuring or new road surfaces laid in that descent to make sure that there's a possibility of making this happen. But I'm not sure the riders will be overly happy with this because in Parry Tools, the favorite took out their whole team with the Koenig uh, two years back because it looks more like a bit of a luck of the draw race and people won't like it if their GC favourite has five punctures on the stage and loses the Giro because of it. So, I don't know. Finishing on Stelvio, do you think that it's a solid idea? I don't think you do, but I do want to throw it to you.
1: No, that's so stupid. And why does CPA get your act together? Um, maybe it's not... Isn't it like a gravel descent in that? Why are we going to have Grand Tours affected by... It's just... Just save it for Paris-Roubaix, man. Like, we don't need to have gravel in infiltrating the Grand Tours and the Giro and the Tour de France. Like Even that gravel section in the Tour, just stop. Just stop. It's why someone's going to get a puncture and it's going to ruin six months of training. It's just stupid. But congrats to Togogonhart taking out the Giro d'Italia. Biggest win of his career. And uh, yeah loss dominating the Giro d'Italia. We'll be wrapping that up in the recap, the recap podcast. It's always a beast. Our Tour de France recap and uh, World's recap ones did pretty well. You seem to like them. Fire through your questions that you want us to answer. It's a lot that happened in this Giro. Hit us up in the YouTube comments section or on hashtag LRCP on Twitter. But That's all from us today. Thank you for the for supporting the podcast, and they'll be continuing that support throughout the Vuelta. We'll see you tomorrow.